We have a house explosion, totally leveled. We're going to go search. Just got flagged down at 42 Salem Street. They said they have a fire in the basement. We got a fire on the second floor. We got people in there. We're going in to get them out. Contact the gas company. Might have something going on here with uh, overpressurization. Okay, all units on here. We're going to have multiple calls. Everybody stay calm. We are sorry. We're sorry and deeply concerned about the inconvenience. On September 13th, an overpressurized line run by Columbia Gas sent natural gas rushing into hundreds of homes along the Merrimack River in Massachusetts. Thousands were forced to flee, and the area descended into mirrored states of emotional despair and physical disrepair. I'm Zoe Matthews, a reporter with the Eagle Tribune. That guy you heard at the beginning, the one talking about inconvenience? That's Steve Bryant, president of Columbia Gas of Massachusetts. This is a podcast about trauma, loss, and resilience in the wake of the natural gas disaster that rocks the communities of Lawrence, Andover, and North Andover. Driving into Lawrence, I almost always take note of the sky. The sunset over the city mills and the clock tower is usually warm and pleasing. But that night, the sky was thick and toxic. Plumes rose up across the city from the fires. Smoke signals of distress. Someone unanswered, simply because there were too many calls. In the aftermath, one young man died. Dozens of homes were damaged and thousands of lives changed, as the emergency of it all faded into a tedious new normal. No stove, no hot water, no heat. The company said they would restore service to everyone by November 19th, in time for the holidays. But it quickly became clear the pace of crews on the ground would not meet that deadline. They pushed it back nearly a month past Thanksgiving to December 16th. But it just seems like there's no one in charge. Like they're in the weeds and they have never seen this before. That was Daniel Rivera, the mayor of Lawrence, the city hardest hit by the explosions and fires, addressing the press in the first days after the disaster. The ground has frozen over now. For many, it has been annoying and yes, inconvenient. For a few, it has been overwhelming grief, total loss. For all, it has become a quiet kind of plodding misery. If you haven't lived it, it's tough to make real just how hard life gets when nothing works. When nothing works for months. It gets cold. You find out just how many ways to make dinner in a crock pot. You drive to a friend's house or the Y. Every single time, you need to shower. It gets below 50 degrees in your bedroom. You start trying to find somewhere else to sleep. You try to pick up a pizza, but their oven runs on gas and they've been closed for weeks. That first night, South Lawrence descended into darkness. The power and gas lines cut as first responders tried to bring order to the chaos. Residents were told their homes weren't safe to be in at all. Some walked away on foot, carrying luggage over a bridge across the Merrimack River to safety. I will never forget that. That's one thing I will never forget, people wheeling their luggages to get food across town. Christina Rodriguez described the experience like something she has seen only on TV. The chaos of that first night was like an apocalyptic disaster movie, or a war zone. She watched it unfold from the street in front of her South Broadway apartment, putting a bandana over her face to protect from the smoke, before finally seeking safety elsewhere. But then, like most people who could, she came back home as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. Taking a nap. Oh. The past couple of months, it's been 
overwhelming. Christina, like many, felt she had to fight Columbia Gas for services. She was initially denied a hotel room for her and her 19-year-old son, then got into one 20 miles away in Peabody. Her son still had to go to school at Lawrence High, and she still worked her overnight shift at a nursing home in Methuen. In Christina's South Broadway walk-up, warmed by a generator and space heaters well into December, she did her best to decorate for Christmas as she normally would. It is cozy and homey, and clear she takes pride in her space. But there are some things light and heat just can't drive out. I was waking up very um, angry, very angry. I was just like, wow, why God? Why, why, why did this happen? And why, you know, like, I know that we've been going through it, but it's been so long. In Andover, Lawrence, and North Andover, travel trailers were set up as alternative housing for those who would not have gas as weather turned cold. The McDonough family just had a temporary RV installed in their driveway, a lifeline for their young daughter on the autism spectrum, who still fears sleeping in her own bed, even though they had gas restored in November. They're a family of five, Tim, Desiree, and their three children on the autism spectrum. For them, the past few months have amounted to putting band-aids over their deepest wounds. Tim lost his landscaping job, waiting home for the gas crews to come, and waiting and waiting. From the day it happened, their family unit, which runs smoothly thanks to rigorous planning and preparation, was thrown into chaos and uncertainty, right down to where to sleep at night. It was one of those surreal moments. We had never been through anything like that. We had never not had a place to go. They started out at a friend's place in Methuen, then a makeshift shelter in a high school gymnasium, then a single hotel room, then a trailer park just down the road from home. All the while, their sense of safety was profoundly shaken. At the shelter, the kids couldn't settle into comfort enough to sleep. It was a high school gymnasium and very eerie at night, and the kids just had a little bit of trouble feeling comfortable sleeping there. Um, they were great there during the day. Um, they had a blast. There was a lot of stuff to do. Uh, but sleeping there just, you know, uh, sensory-wise, it just wasn't for them. So that's when I would take them uh, to Methuen, and we stayed, stayed there. The gymnasium doors were kept open at all times. Well, that's great when you work there because it gives you a safe of a safety security feeling because you're not locked in. But the family never felt safe there. When it closed a few days after the blast, they sought the hotel, but it was sterile and cramped. So they sought the trailer, just steps from their home, one of 60 lined up in rows on top of a little league baseball field. At first, they were placed in one with only two bunk beds. Then they settled into a properly sized RV and learned the hard way the hot water tank only held four gallons. The McDonough stayed at the trailer park full-time for a little under a month, as crews entered homes in their neighborhood to check the gas lines and replace appliances and set up new meters. One day, there was a gas leak across from the trailers. Ambulances, fire trucks, police cruisers. It brought their family back to September 13th. So her fear of coming back into our house is real, and she saw it firsthand. Across the three communities affected, as work was done on the lines under the street and in homes, fire departments fielded calls for gas odor for months. Some were just heightened awareness in the wake of trauma. Many, the majority, were real, true gas leaks. Schools were evacuated, parents fearful, thrown back into the terrifying unknown. Is my baby okay? Am I okay? 
The McDonough's youngest was put on crisis watch for the first time. She's acting out. She's afraid for her life. She actually had to be carried out of situations saying that we, my husband and I, were trying to kill her by taking her home because we were trying to kill her with the gas. On Halloween, Desiree and Tim began to realize their community was deeply, profoundly affected. In North Andover, Halloween is a big deal. Neighbors open their doors for haunted houses and hand out full cups of hot cocoa. We go the same route basically every year. See the same houses, see the same people, see the, you know, like there are some houses in this neighborhood that are just incredible on Halloween. Not this year. It was a ghost town. So the family trekked to a new part of town. They wanted to escape the feeling that things were different. They wanted to feel the comfort of their community. But their route took them past their trailer. And when they got to the library, Columbia gas representatives were handing out candy by the bagful. And all you could smell was the gas on the bags that they had given us. Like the propane? The propane, yeah. In their dining room, mantras of spiritual strength and happiness are painted onto the walls. A recent addition done as part of the first renovation to their home in 13 years. Enjoy the little things, for one day you may look back and realize they were the big things. Do you feel like this is still a place of beauty and happiness and light? Do you feel like you can maintain that? Um, I feel like we will get back to that. I feel like this is our still happy place. Except for all the ways it isn't. And when I say our security has been taken from us, if you want to quantify that with a number, you can't. No number's ever going to give my daughter her safety sleeping back in her bed at night. She's going to have to deal with this for the rest of her life. The McDonough's lost their feeling of safety in their own home. Others lost their faith in vital support networks. Wilma Rodriguez and her husband, Edwin Alicia, started to distrust the restoration deadline very early on, watching the crews come in and out of their Lawrence home, promising to return the next day, then not showing up for weeks. It took almost forever for us, you know. As work was being done on their home, Wilma and Edwin tried to get into a trailer. They called Columbia Gas through the designated housing hotline. They went to the trailer parks and talked to the people in charge on the ground. They called TV news stations and state senators. They called out for help, every way they knew how. As their apartment got colder and their faith wavered, it took them weeks to get it. They too had to fight, initially being told they did not meet requirements because they had no children. In that time, the couple lost their sense of support. For me was um, the way they say they were going to try to help everybody, but then we ask for a trailer and then they say no. Despite the fact that thousands of people were now in the same situation, future unknown, the nature of the disaster created islands of experience. Those wounded so deeply they would scar, physically and emotionally, and those who would, in theory, be able to return to the way they were at 3.59 in the afternoon on September 13th. We learned, though, that everyone experienced trauma in some way. And though many would recoil at the word, people were victimized. Like, I didn't know what to do. I thought that, you know, no one was gonna, no one was out there to help us. And, like, I was like, wow, like, how can this happen? And they advocated for themselves the best they could, calling the phone numbers Columbia Gas told them to call, going to community meetings where representatives said they would answer questions. And we went to all those meetings and... 
the way they explain it to to us, it seemed easy for them, but not for us. The struggles continued to mount, even after the fires were put out. The governor came by less often. The daily news cycle moved on to its next drama. It felt like the rest of the world turned their gaze away from the pain and returned to their lives. Even neighbors in unaffected areas of the valley. It felt like they turned away too. But behind closed doors, and in the eyes of those still fighting for basic survival, the trauma was compounded with every reported neighborhood gas leak bringing that fight-or-flight instinct to the foreground again. It became deeper with every call, email, question, left unanswered. In the Merrimack Valley, a largely blue-collar swath of the state, natural gas is cheap and effective. It's an aspect of daily life at best taken for granted. At worst, it's a nuisance, another bill. But you expect it to be there and you expect it to work. It's an unspoken lifeline. except when it takes your home and leaves the crisp vinyl from a front door canopy with gruesome stretch marks from escaping flames. In Andover, 57 High Street is a fire-licked house. Rendered uninhabitable by fire, smoke, and water, it presents a very visible wound for Richard and Lori Padova, who watched parts of the compact apartment building burn while they waited for help. Uh, with my wife, you know, just seeing the flames in the basement, and then me coming home from work, seeing my home going up in smoke. Uh, images like that, I guess, you never can quite release from your mind. Even they have had to bear their bones to Columbia Gas to get the services they need to recover. As my wife uh, keeps trying to explain, you know, uh, to Columbia as we're negotiating with them, uh, she's like, she, I was inside a burning building. They're trying to be patient and live as normal a life as possible, having temporarily moved in with Richard's father a few miles away in Lawrence. But the experience is leaving them with a fundamental question. Who do you trust? You know, because I, I tend to be a trusting individual. Maybe it's a fault of mine, you know. So when uh, something uh, like this happens, uh, and then you think, oh, so, you know, I, I can't trust the utility company now. Like, who else maybe now? Uh, can't I trust either then? At the back of the property, near the garden where Richard grows herbs, corn, carrots, and squash, it's easy to see the neighbors, most of whom stayed in their homes. You know, that, that expression, so close yet so far. Like on High Street in Andover, you know, we all had to leave the building and it's boarded up now, but yet some of our neighbors there were unaffected. Uh, no problem with the gas. Others, yes, a problem with the gas. Uh, but they could still live in their homes. They didn't have to evacuate uh, like we did. Um, so it's interesting, like even in your own neighborhood there, there were different degrees of, uh, of being affected by this. And unfortunately for us, uh, we were at the highest degree. The Padova's building has been deemed uninhabitable, but after eight years of living there, they plan to move back to their apartment once reconstruction is complete in April. My garden will still be sitting out in the back of the yard, you know, untouched from all this and ready for replanting next spring. Relit is a production of the Eagle Tribune and North of Boston Media Group. Today's episode was written by Zoe Matthews and Alexandra Nicholas. We are produced in the Merrimack Valley of Massachusetts by Ryan Hutton, Zoe Matthews, and Alexandra Nicholas. Additional reporting by Terry Date and Lisa Kishinsky. Relit will return in 2019 with more stories of recovering from this man-made disaster. Visit eagletribune.com for more coverage on the Merrimack Valley gas disaster.